Tick, tock, tick, tock. This is your James Bond moment. And I was just thinking, I am so dead. True Spies, with me, Hayley Atwell, wherever you get your podcasts. This is I Spy, the show from foreign policy where spies tell their stories. The head of our uh, operational uh, unit described all the different ways that we can carry out the assassination, which would be like planning a bomb in his car or uh, placing a sniper uh, across the street in uh, some office or even getting close to him and uh, shooting him with a pistol. But Netanyahu didn't want any of this. He wanted it to be completely quiet. So what was developed very rapidly was some kind of poison that once it's being sprayed on somebody's skin, the person will uh, very shortly after that feel dizzy, will go to sleep and uh, will never wake up. From Foreign Policy, welcome to I Spy, real-life spy stories told by the people who were there. Each week, we feature one former intelligence operative from somewhere around the world describing one operation. I'm Margot Martindale. On today's show, Israeli Mossad operative Mishka Ben David is sent to the Jordanian capital, Amman, to help assassinate Khalid Mashal, the political leader of the Palestinian Islamic group Hamas. But the mission doesn't go quite as planned. The year is 1997, one year into Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's first term in office. A double Palestinian suicide attack that summer killed 16 people in Jerusalem and undermined Netanyahu's election promise to restore security in the country. Netanyahu responds by instructing Mossad to track down the Hamas chiefs who ordered the attacks. But the group's leadership is based in Jordan, posing a particular challenge for Ben David and his team. That's where his story begins. There are various means to find a person in a hostile country or in an unknown neighborhood. The problem was that since the peace agreement between Israel and Jordan, Mossad wasn't working in Jordan. So we didn't really know Amman, we didn't know uh, the Palestinian people in Jordan. And once Prime Minister Netanyahu ordered us to learn who they are, we went to Jordan and started looking for the heads of Hamas. Of course, you cannot find them in a telephone book. They are not listed anywhere. They hide. The basic information that we had is where is the headquarters of Hamas, which was disguised as some help organizations. We saw people coming in and out. We followed them until we reached their uh, homes. We saw what cars they are driving. And from there, we started filling out the missing parts in the intelligence picture. And after about a week of intelligence gathering, we had uh, all the needed information. And when the team came back to Israel, we started planning an assassination attack except that on September 4th, there was another suicide attack on Ben Yehuda Street with five dead and 180 injured. 
and Prime Minister Netanyahu ordered us to speed up the preparations and uh, carry out an assassination attack on Khaled Mashal because he wanted to stop the suicide bombings. Having a peace agreement with an Arab country, be it Jordan or Egypt, doesn't make it a friendly country. Especially in Jordan, over 70% of the population are Palestinian people. Many of them refugees from the 1948 war. So the feelings towards Israel by the majority of the population are hostile feelings. The king and the regime that signed the peace treaty are very much aware of the feeling of the population there. And Israel is also aware of the fragility of the peace agreement with them, which, of course, we had to take into consideration when deciding the means of the elimination. So what was developed very rapidly was some kind of poison that once it's being sprayed on somebody's skin, the person will uh, very shortly after that feel dizzy, will go to sleep and uh, will never wake up. I studied Hebrew literature and philosophy at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I continued my uh, master's in the United States in comparative literature and came back for a doctoral degree back in uh, Jerusalem. I wrote a number of novels. As I was about to finish my PhD, and uh, at that time I taught at the university, I felt that this is not what I want to do for the next 35 years until I uh, retire. I was looking for something else to do. And then I saw an ad in the paper, which I believed is made by Mossad, although it didn't say so. It said for an operational job, we are looking for people who have a good degree of foreign language uh, and have an academic degree. In the process of reviewing people for the job in Mossad, there are a lot of different kinds of exercises and tests, also uh, different maneuvers in the street. They want to see how you operate, how you think. One of the exercises was when a part of uh, three days training in Tel Aviv, which I walked with a trainer, uh, that would give me different assignments to do. One was uh, he would point out a balcony on a third floor of uh, an apartment building and said, OK, I want to see you in five minutes in the balcony with the owner of the apartment. I want you to keep him there for five minutes and then to depart peacefully and come back to me. They want to see how do you think, do you panic, do you do things that will uh, incriminate you. Uh, I looked around, I saw that many balconies were uh, renovated, so I rang the bell. I told the people there that I'm uh, from a certain branch of the government named Beautiful Israel, which conducts renovations in old houses. And uh, I want to look at their balcony to see if we can renovate it. Of course, they let me in and we stayed there and I explained to them what we are going to do and said uh, very nicely goodbye and I'll see you in a few days and went down.
I did not know if I will be good or not good at things like this because I'm not a person who is an actor. I wasn't very young at that time. I was already 35 years old, uh, having a PhD, teaching at the university, having uh, written uh, four novels, and never having any dramatic capabilities that I uh, noticed before. So I didn't know how will I operate in situations like this. But since I understood the importance of the job, I did it. After the course, uh, which was a long and tiring eight-month course, I got a job as uh, an intelligence officer and I uh, went up the ladder and became the head of the intelligence department for operations. After the second suicide bombing carried out by Hamas people according to Marshall's orders on Ben Yehuda Street, the decision was to kill Khaled Marshall and stop this chain of events. And the idea was to carry out an association with this kind of poison. Since we had never carried out an operation like this, we had to start and build the way of carrying this out. So maneuvers and exercises were carried out first by Mossad people in Mossad bases and headquarters until the operational unit decided that they have the right technique. And then it was carried out with the regular water, of course, in the streets of Tel Aviv on regular people to see how do people react when they are being sprayed and what do they do, uh, how should the operatives uh, react to their reaction. People would always turn around and see what happened, what sprayed them. This brought into the exercise another element, which was uh, that two people are walking behind the victim uh, the, or the object. One is having the little uh, spraying tool and he would spray him. And the other one would carry a Coca-Cola can, will shake it and open it just as uh, his friend is spraying uh, the object. So when the person would uh, turn around, he would see um, a Coca-Cola springing out of the can and he would understand that this guy behind him opened the can and the Coca-Cola just was uh, running out of it. And he will understand what hit him and uh, would continue. This is what usually happened. The more rehearsals that was made, the more the technique was finalized until the operatives felt that they know how to do it, that they know how to do it well, and they will succeed in spraying Marshall when they get there. The team flew to Jordan and got ready for the operation. In the last briefing, the head of Mossad drew the red line saying that the operation would be carried out only if Marshall is alone. So they flew and they gathered in Jordan and started getting ready every day to see Marshall leaving his home, getting to the office. The decision was made to spray him just outside his office because this was when he was all alone in all the times that the surveillance team uh, tailed him. His driver would bring him 
to the office, he will get out. There are a few steps that are leading to the sidewalk adjacent to the office. He would go up these stairs, cross the sidewalk and get into his office. The idea was that two operatives are waiting for him there. And then they start walking behind him, these few meters of the sidewalk, and uh, spray him. Day by day, they got ready to do so, except that it didn't work. The red lines uh, weren't there. There were other people on the pavement, or he was accompanied with people. And day after day, it wasn't done until the last day on the 25th, which was also the last day before their visa expired. And they thought that the situation enables them to carry out the operation. The reason for me being in Jordan was to carry an antidote to the poison in case that one of the operatives get hit by the poison itself. Since we don't know exactly how Marshall will behave, we don't know what will happen, we don't know if there'll be a short scuffle or anything like this, there was a possibility that the substance will touch one of the operatives, which means that in four hours that operative would die if he doesn't get an antidote. The antidote itself uh, doesn't look different from any uh, injection that a person allergic to bees or has a heart situation would carry. It is something very, very small that can hide very easily in the toiletry of any tourist. So I was in Jordan carrying an antidote and there was a doctor there as well. I also uh, carried the um, communication with the home. In most of the days, I uh, just stayed in my hotel during the operation, and the operatives knew to come and meet me at my hotel if they get hit by it. The head of the team knew every day where exactly in the vicinity of the hotel I would be. What happened in the field was that Marshall got out of his car, climbed the steps towards the sidewalk. The two operatives got behind him, got ready to spray him. But at that moment, his little child uh, that no one knew is in the car because she was little and wasn't seen by the surveillance team when they followed Marshall's car. Uh, she got out of the car and ran after him and then his driver got out of the car and ran after her. The two operatives didn't see what is happening behind them. And because of security reasons, also there was no communication between the operatives and between them and the head of the team, etc., because they wanted it at all time to be completely clean if uh, they are being checked. So the head of the team, which was on the other side of the road and saw it happening, had no way to tell them to abort the operation. So they went on with it. The driver, who saw them raising their hand, screamed because they saw something unusual happening. Marshall turned around and that's why he got the poison into his ear, but he didn't really matter where the poison would touch him. 
Anyway, he ran away. Immediately, he got really scared and ran away. And the two operatives started walking very fast to the car that was waiting for them at the side street, just a few dozen meters away. When they got into their car, a courier of the Hamas office passed them and he saw that they were under some interaction with Marshall, but he didn't know what exactly because he heard Marshall uh, scream and he saw him running away. So when he saw these uh, two operatives getting into the car, he took out a pen and he wrote down the number of the car. Now they got into the car and took the first turn and then the driver told them that somebody wrote down the number of the car because he saw it from his mirror. So after like a couple hundred meters, they told him to let them out and they left the car. What they couldn't imagine is that that guy would run to the corner and he saw them suddenly uh, getting out of the car. So he kept running after them. They split, by the way. One was on one sidewalk, uh, one was on the other. And the guy screamed to the people. It's a very, very crowded area. Uh, screamed to the people that uh, this man did something to Khaled Marshall. And he grabbed him by his shirt and tried to stop him. The other person, Mossad person, came from the other sidewalk. Both of them hit the guy. He fell down with his head open, but kept telling the people around that these guys did something to Marshall. So they strangled him until he lost conscience. But at that time, they were already um, surrounded by uh, dozens of hostile people that heard what this guy was saying and also saw two foreigners hitting uh, a local person. So there was a lot of hostility around them and a policeman came by. He took them out and got them into a car that he stopped. And the people asked him, what about this Jordanian guy that is laying unconscious? So he took him also. The two operatives carried a Canadian passport. So actually what the policeman wanted is just to take these two Canadian tourists away from the angry mob. But at that time, the courier of Hamas regained conscience and found himself in the car with the two people that he was trying to stop. And he told the policeman, these are the two people that attacked me and attacked Khaled Marshall too. You're listening to I Spy, a production of Foreign Policy. We'll be right back. True Spies is the ultimate debrief on the stories only spies can tell. Week by week, mission by mission, you'll meet the people who navigate this secret world. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Listen now at spyscape.com forward slash spy. Welcome back to I Spy. I'm Margot Martindale. So, things aren't going well for Ben David and his team, and they're about to get worse. They're in Jordan to assassinate Hamas leader Khaled Mashal. Two of the operatives spray Mashal with poison, but they're chased by one of Mashal's aides and a scuffle ensues. 
the Mossad agents and the Hamas man end up in the same police car on their way to the station. Ben David picks it up from here. We don't know uh, up to this moment what did the Hamas guy think about the identity of uh, those two people. Uh, they spoke English, so maybe he expected they were Israelis, maybe they expected they were Americans, but he thought that they did something to Marshall. So just to be on the safe side, the police officer took them into a police station. They still believed they would be released by presenting their cover, except that it didn't work this way. What happened in the police station is another step in the steps of misfortunes that started with the girl getting out of the car. The chief of police in that station decided that he doesn't want to deal with this and he will call the Canadian consul to come in and check them. He sat about 15 minutes with each one of them, but he didn't need to get convinced from their answers that they are not Canadians. He could easily get in touch with Canada and find out that they are carrying false passports. There is this saying that if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. But I think a chain of events like this is very, very rare. I never heard of a chain of events like this, but obviously this is what happened now. In addition to the two operatives that were caught, there were other operatives around that were a part of the operational team, like the head of the team and the driver of the car and some others. So since they knew that I carried the communication with home, a person from the team uh, that wasn't supposed under any circumstances to come and meet me uh, suddenly walked in knowing where I will be. I was in the pool. By the way, reading uh, Catcher in the Rye in English, of course. She came to me and said, firstly, something uh, just for the people around to sound uh, right, like saying, are you the person I met yesterday in Hanzaman? And I said, yes, of course, and got up and we got away from the other people in the pool. And then she said the problems, the operation was carried out. Uh, Marshall was sprayed with the poison, but the two operatives were caught and they want to know what to do. So this is when I got in touch uh, with the headquarters, let them know about it. And shortly after that, I got an order to get the other operatives of the team from uh, the places they would be, which I know where they would be in case of something goes wrong, and get them into the embassy. What I felt uh, mostly was a burst of adrenaline. I didn't actually feel any fear or any tension or any stress. I just feel that I need to do it correctly. When I finished bringing the people into the embassy, I went back to my hotel. And this was when I got a call from the head of the operational unit asking me, do I still have the antidote? And I said that, yes, of course. And that was when he told me to go down with the doctor to the lobby and meet Captain Firas, a guy from the Jordanian Muhabarat, the Jordanian intelligence, hand him over the antidote 
and that the doctor should accompany him to the hospital and inject the antidote to Khaled Mashal. The reason for all this being that once Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu heard that the two operatives were caught and they knew that Mashal would die in a few hours, they understood that King Hussein will be under an impossible position and they decided to strike a deal with him. So Benjamin Netanyahu called King Hussein, told him that two people that he is holding are uh, Mossad operatives and suggested that we uh, save the life of Khaled Mashal in order for the release of the two operatives. Hussein was very, very upset. He said that if Khaled Mashal dies, there'll be a Palestinian resurrections in Jordan and he will have to execute the two operatives in order to get uh, the Palestinians in Jordan come. So uh, we had to deliver the antidote uh, right away to make sure that it's being ejected to Mashal on time before he dies. And I felt that, that this is a strange uh, situation. It was very clear that now uh, we are in, in a different operation. Now we are in an operation to save Khaled Mashal's life in order to save the lives of the two operatives whom I knew very, very well, who are in a Jordanian jail right now. And I was just focused on doing this. I saw in the eyes of Captain Firas, it was very, very clear what he feels about me. I also uh, had sympathy towards the doctor that had to go with him in order to inject Khaled Mashal with the antidote. At the end, the Jordanians didn't want the doctor to come close to Mashal. Mashal was unconscious, he was under a respiration machine, but it was clear that he is losing his life uh, slowly but surely. So they've decided to inject it themselves. The doctor came back quite fast and it was decided that we will uh, join the head of Mossad, uh, which came with a private plane to Jordan to meet King Hussein at the head of intelligence. He was at that time at the palace and uh, we joined him at the king's palace. We spent a couple hours with him there because the Jordanians wanted to see that Khaled Mashal is recovering. Once they saw that he is recovering, they gave the green light for us to leave Jordan. We first went to the embassy and met the team which I brought there. Uh, spoke with them. They were in a very, very, very bad mood. We explained to them what the situation is and that they will be released uh, soon. And then the doctor and me went uh, back to the airport and flew back to Israel. Now, my wife uh, knew that I'm in Jordan. Uh, she didn't know exactly what am I going to do. By and large, our wives have the same security screening as we do, and we are allowed to tell our wives everything that we do. Everyone tells his wife whatever he thinks she should or want or is able to know. 
uh, I usually told my wife everything. She knew that I'm in Jordan. And this is the information she had until I called her, uh, I don't know, at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning from HQ. I called her and told her that I'm back in Israel and I'm okay and I'm in debriefing now and it will take uh, several hours. That day, it was Saturday, and uh, at noontime there was a bat mitzvah party, a Jewish uh, traditional uh, party of a girl that turns 12 in our village, uh, in the house of uh, our friends. Uh, it was a party for their daughter. My family was there, my wife and children were there because these are good friends of ours. I joined uh, a couple hours later after I got home, I got a shower, changed clothes and went to that party, found people in the backyard of our friends uh, roaming around with uh, glasses of beer or uh, wine and none of them knew where I was working and where I was uh, when they saw me and just uh, in small talk they said did you hear about the mishap of the Mossad in Jordan last night? Do you know anything about this? etc. And I of course had to say uh, yeah I heard about it, I know nothing about it. It is not easy for a person that is involved in the most intriguing operations to be able to say nothing to his close friends and to his family except uh, to his wife. But it is harder with the other members of your family, uh, especially if you have grown-up kids. I had a grown-up daughter that was in high school and a son that was in elementary school and a younger son that was just like five or six years old. And the older uh, ones already ask questions. Where do you go? Where do you fly? Why can't we know where you're going? And this is uh, much harder to cope with. I left the Mossad after I got the head of a division. It's a very, very high-ranking position. But shortly after I got this position as a division head, my daughter was drafted into the army. When I joined the Mossad, she went to a first grade in elementary school. And here, 12 years passed, and my wife and me took her to the recruitment center and saw her leave for the army. And I suddenly knew that there is no way I can uh, regain these 12 years which I wasn't with her. That I was away, that I saw her uh, sometimes once a week, sometimes once every few weeks. And even when I worked in Israel, I would come home at 10 or 11 at night when she would be asleep already. I knew that I have no way to uh, regain those years with her. And I had two younger sons, four years and nine years younger than her, and I didn't want it to happen with them. And actually from there, I told my wife, I'm going back to the Mossad and I'm telling them that I want to leave. And I went back, I went to the headquarters, to Manpower Division, and I told them, okay, I want to leave, now let's start with the procedure of leaving. 
Mishka bin David is the former head of intelligence in the Mossad's operational unit. He now writes spy thrillers. The latest one to be translated to English is called Final Stop Algiers. I Spy is a production of Foreign Policy. Our executive editor is Dan Efron. Rob Sachs and Amy McKinnon helped produce today's show. The interview with Ben David was conducted by Dan Efron. If you have tips or suggestions, please write to us, ispy at foreignpolicy.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Foreign Policy subscribers can go to our website to hear bonus episodes of iSpy with additional excerpts and interviews. And if you're not a subscriber, go to foreignpolicy.com backslash subscribe for access to all of the magazine's great content. Next week on the show, CIA officer James Olson interviews a Cuban walk-in and discovers some shocking news. What we learned from the defector started, of course, in our initial debriefings in Vienna, and it was a blockbuster. He said, we have 38 double agents that we've been running against you. We had been had, we had been beaten, and we were absolutely devastated by it. That episode next week on I Spy, I'm Margot Martindale. As I was saying, True Spies is a new podcast in which real spies tell us about their role in the espionage operations that changed history. True Spies. Week by week, mission by mission, meet the people who navigate this secret world. It was going to be a massacre. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Look for True Spies wherever you get your podcasts.